Good evening, friends. Thank you for tuning in with us tonight as Michael and I uh, are going to embark on something a little bit new, um, but in a lot of ways, something that uh, him and I have been talking about for a while. Uh, we're going to take a crack at looking at what we can be uh, as better stewards of, of our money and the possessions that the Lord has entrusted to us. Um, so this study, um, again, something that, that him and I have talked about for a while, and uh, it's a series of sermons that I preached a few years ago in some meetings and a quarter-long Bible class that Michael did um, at uh, Southside. Goodness, that's been a couple years ago probably now. Uh, yep. But as we kind of embark on this idea, um, we think it's something that's going to be uh, very beneficial for all of you. We'll talk a little bit in a few minutes about um, maybe why us uh, in leading this and, and what we've done uh, both from a professional level and from a uh, what we've done as Bible students. But joining me, um, as always, is Michael Ray from uh, the beautiful city of Somerset. Michael, how's everything in Somerset tonight? Everything is rainy and dark, and uh, but but all is well, my friend. God is good. God is good. Very good. Um, good to have you with us. So let's talk just a little bit about um, you know, what we want you to do, um, those of you that are tuning in with us that are not our parents, uh, is, is to, uh, you know, like this, share this out for anybody that, that you think can benefit. Um, we're going to get into some nitty gritty on stewardship here. We're going to, our plan is to get into hard nuts and bolts on debt, on credit, on our giving, on how we view possessions, on the whole kit and caboodle. This is not going to be a, um, afternoon Dave Ramsey class and I'm not knocking Dave Ramsey by any means but you know what, what we're looking to do is to truly help people based on on what we do for a living every day and what we find in our study of scriptures is how can we help you be better about this have a better attitude um, and a better desire and so you know um, out of all the people in the world why us clowns uh, so bio and background um, you know it, this is something I, I both of us feel super uncomfortable talking about. Um, and as you'll watch Michael cringe as much as I am here, you know, so I, I've got a BBA in finance from the University of Cincinnati. I've got some letters after my name, CRPC, CFP. I'm a financial advisor. I manage a bunch of money for clients. Um, and, but most importantly, out of all of my criteria and background um, is I'm a disciple. I'm a student of Jesus. And, and I'm just a Bible student like anybody else is. Uh, but what I want to do is go to scripture, tell you what I've learned both from professional and from, um, my private life and, and try to help you to be better. Um, Michael's got more letters after his name than I do. Um, Michael's BBA in finance from Transy, MBA from university of Kentucky. He's a CPA. He's a current CFO of team modern distributors. Um, got all kinds of accolades, but Michael and, and, and he married up as you can and, tell from the, <laughs> Yeah, as you can tell from the pictures, uh, he, he did good in life. Um, but again, what he'll tell you is the most important thing. Uh, and that's what we want to come to this with, is the most important thing is that uh, we're both just students of Jesus, and we, we want to try to get better here. Um, that's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're striving for. Uh, that's where we're, we're trying to get to, is just to be better. We want you to be better. So we want you, know, you to have these conversations along with us to study, um, and to go along with this so that you can be better and you can be a better student. So, you know, kind of why this study? Why, why here? Why, why is this important? Um, and and there's, there's a lot of reasons for this, right? Um, but I think the best way is I want to, you know, we wanted to give you some, some questions to 
think about. And, uh, you know, I'll let Michael fire these questions away and I'll, uh, I'll do my best to answer. And full disclosure, I have not looked these up previously. Um, I do not have these answers off the top of my head. I'm going to take a crack at them just like anybody else would. So, uh, you know, question number one. I would say, as usual, my research has, <laughs> has carried carried the study. Um, I, the only thing, real quick before we get into that, the only thing I would add is, you know, I, I think that you and I and, and anybody else who studies this uh, intently and cares about it are, are going to run into some discomfort somewhere along the way. I don't know how, how many of these we'll end up doing, but if we don't make ourselves um, and if you're not a little bit uncomfortable about some of the stuff that God's word tells us about this, then we're probably not, we're probably not doing it right. Um, so that, that should probably be a disclaimer across all of it. And secondly, you know, as you mentioned, as, as we very uncomfortably talked about what we did there, you know, you and I have both chosen professions where we're dancing on the right, on dancing on the edge here a little bit, you know? So we're, we are, we are going to spend a lot of time talking about um, putting money in its proper place. And yet we, we both, have jobs where we, we deal primarily with that topic. And so we, we're, I don't want to say we're playing with fire, but, but we, we, uh, we have chosen professions where we, we it's in, incredibly important to us if we are going to be disciples to handle it correctly. Uh, just, just it would, it would be easy for those things to come into conflict in the professions that we have chosen. And so um, I, we, we come to this sincerely. I hope everybody appreciates that. We come to this sincerely as not thinking we got it figured out, but wanting to study and, and make sure that we're applying this correctly. Uh, just because, because of that. So anyway, that, that would be my, that'd be my brief disclaimer on that. Right. And, and, and along with that, you know, it's part of this expertise and part of what we're going to discuss as, um, ways to help, especially from the nuts and bolts side of this. Because I think there's a lot of people, the, at least the feedback I've gotten over the years is there's a lot of people that you go through these classes and what we talk about is concepts. And, and in, the, in the realm of teaching a Bible class, if I'm teaching this at Danville, if Michael's teaching this at Somerset, there's some of the things that we just, it's not the place to talk about in a worship Bible class setting. It's just not appropriate. Um, but it is appropriate in this setting because, you know, we're just a couple of clowns talking on the internet. So, you know, the, the things that we can get into here, we, we think are going to be helpful. I mean, everything from, you know, understanding your taxes better to, you know, debt strategies, how your credit score works, all that stuff. We're, we're our very ambitious goal is to use our professional backgrounds and, you know, goofy things that we've done, mistakes we've made or things that we've helped people through to help you be better. You know, one of the, best quotes I've, I've ever heard is, you know, wisdom is knowing the end at the beginning and is from not learning the mistakes yourselves, but learning from the mistakes of others. And so when we think about all the lessons that are out there, we don't, you don't have to go through bankruptcy to know better about credit, right? You can learn from mistakes of others. And that, that's what we're, we're hoping to accomplish here. Absolutely. So anyway, that, that, uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. So I think by way of introduction, I will uh, ask these questions of you and mock you as you <laughs> miss the answers. So, so why, why do we think that this study is worthwhile? So here's a few questions just to highlight the, the, the fact that, well, does the Bible even talk about money? Um, so that, that's kind of the, the heart behind question one. So Mr. Estes, how many verses in scripture deal with money or possessions? Do you want to take a swing at that one? I, I, my, my, my gut tells me somewhere around two dozen. Two dozen? 
Yeah. <laughs> I think that you're playing dumb on purpose. Um, so the, the, the different people can calculate this different ways, depending on, how, you know, is that a verse really about a possession? But uh, if you take the Old and New Testament, it, it's well over 2,000, maybe 2,300. So, so there are an enormous number of um, verses in Scripture that talk about either um, how we handle our uh, money, our giving, our generosity, our possessions, about greed, um, about looking down on others who, who um, are living in poverty, how we, how we treat the poor. In that gamut of all these things that we hope we can make part of this study, there's an, there is an enormous body of Scripture um, to deal with those topics. And so this is not something that we're going to run out of uh, Bible content after a study or two. If, if that is our perception of what the Bible has to say about money, we are incredibly mistaken. There is a wealth of, um, of, of, liter of Bible um, uh, content about money and possessions. In fact, people who have studied this says that Jesus, Jesus himself said more about money uh, and possessions than he did about any other single topic. Um, that, that, that's pretty fascinating. So here, here's a quote from a guy named Richard Halverson. Jesus said more about money um, than about any other single thing because when it comes to man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to our true character. I just think that is a, an incredibly interesting um, um, quote. That, that how we handle our finances, how we handle our possessions is an index of our character. Um, so some 2,300 verses in scripture to, uh, to highlight that point. Um, well, and, and, I, and I think most people, and, and that's kind of how I answered that is, you know, most people think, all right, there's, you know, maybe the rich young ruler, there's the parable of the talents, you know, there's, Couple proverbs. there's some stuff in Proverbs, right? You know, I, I think that's the general crack. I mean, when you think of, you know, I guess what I want to say is the uh, major or big picture or, you know, things that, that we would naturally gravitate to. So it, it is interesting when we break it down conceptually to think that there's, you know, 2,000, So there's a lot of verses that, you know, again, it seems like it's a, it's a big number. And, and think about the number of parables that either directly or indirectly have to do with possessions. Um, there, there are, there are so many of Jesus's parables uh, have to do with possessions. You know, the parable of the talents directly about possessions, the parable of the lost sheep about somebody's possession, the parable of the lost coin, um, the, the parable of, or the story of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector praying at the temple. That, that's, you know, um, tangentially about possessions. Um, we, we could go through the list of so many, um, think about the, uh, the the tears and the wheat that, that is somewhat about possessions. Um, the, the the tear down my barns and build great. He goes through so many parables uh, of Jesus, also about possessions. Okay, I've belabored that point, but the Bible says an, an enormous amount about money and possessions. Question number two: So, is this a biblical topic? For sure, um, it is a biblical topic. Okay. Secondly, how does happiness relate to average income in the U.S.? Are Mike, are rich people happier? Are poor people happier? What is what? What would you expect that answer to be? I mean, I think the expectation is the more money you have, the happier you are. I think that's that's what most people would say is, you know, and and even 
um, you know, you think back to some of the famous quotes and um, I think it was Rockefeller that was famously asked, how much money do you need to be happy? And he said a little bit more, you know, so there was always the, you know, more, if, if I had a little bit more, you know, I would be happy. And so, I mean, I, I would, you know, I would think that's the answer is that the, you know, higher your income, higher your tax bracket, you know, happier you ought to be. Right. So the, the answer to the question is there's almost no correlation is that if you if you survey a random sampling of people in the U.S. and, and you say, um, well, how do you rate your own happiness? And then ask them for their income. There is n practically no correlation between whether they're, uh, or, or, you know, you think about it from, from the standpoint of a regression line or something like that. There, there is no correlation. Um, the only exception to that is for the extreme, uh, extreme poverty people that are extremely impoverished do tend to have a, a little lower average happiness. So, so the real answer is once you get to a subsistence level, just a, 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 a bare minimum level, um, even far, far below the poverty line, we're talking about the severely impoverished. Once you get to uh, any, any um, level of income, once you get to that point, additional income doesn't make you happier as a rule. Um, and, and that, that, goes against maybe what we think. The, the other thing, and then we, and we've talked about this a lot is to your point, um, the gap between w where your income is and what you believe your income would need to be to satisfy you, um, gets larger as you go up the income scale. And so, um, in general, if you ask a, an average person on the street, uh, how much income would it take to satisfy you or how much would you need to be comfortable they will say roughly double whatever their current income level is. And that's the same, whether they're making $20,000 a year or $2 million a year, their, their gut reaction is if I could just make double, then I would be comfortable. Um, and I would have all my needs met and I wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. Just double would do that. And so uh, again, as we've talked about before, the, the, the reality that that means for the average American, the more they make, the farther they are away from, from thinking that they're comfortable and satisfied. Um, and so there's this huge disconnect between um, what we think the answer should be is that uh, a higher income level relates to higher, more, more happiness. It is, it is not that way. It's a, it's a progress paradox um, that the, the, the more we have, the, the, in many ways, the less satisfied we become. Um, and so what that, what that should lead us to believe is that happiness comes from somewhere else, clearly. Right. Well, and what this is, I mean, uh, this is exactly why we, I think we struggle with professional athletes, right? There, there was a quote out, I don't know if you saw it in the last couple of weeks, where Dak Prescott, who's the quarterback from the Cowboys, they're in a contract negotiation, right? And he was offered, you know, 10 or $12 million a year, some, what we would think is, you know, a, just a goofy number. And his statement was, I can't afford to feed my family on $12 million a year. Like, that's just a ridiculous offer for you to make me and, and people on, you know, social media blew up just, ah, oh, this guy's a clown. You know what I could do with, you know, one game check would change the rest of my life. Right. But it's, it's, it's just to this point, no matter where you're at, you always think I need a little bit more. Now, granted, maybe his goals are different, you know, now maybe what he was talking about, I've got no idea. I don't know this guy. So, you know, maybe what he was talking about is not necessarily feeding his immediate family of four or five or how many ever he's got, but he's talking about feeding great grandchildren because that's where he's thinking that if I have, 
you know, my contract is X for Y number of years, then I'm going to have generational money. And that's the goals that he's aspiring to. Whereas somebody that's making, you know, $25,000 a year is just thinking about buying groceries in two weeks. Right. So those goals shift and change as far as to what we think, but to, I mean, exactly to your point here that, you know, somebody in, you know, that's on TV is telling us that $12 million is not enough money. And, and that's, I mean, that, that's right on to the, to the survey, right? Yeah. And, and, that, and everyone is probably surprised except the preacher of Ecclesiastes, right? Because he, he, he wrote for us uh, several thousand years ago that as goods increase, appetites increase. And that, that, that is almost precisely what this study would, would tell us. Okay. Question number three, Mike. According to research across the United States, um, Protestant church members, uh, and that is, you know, defined broadly, as you might imagine, in a survey of this type. But Protestant church members contribute what percentage of their income to the work of the church? So, so I'm going to be a bit of a jerk here. And is this the number that they actually contribute or the number that they tell people that they contribute? <laughs> so this, this is a response to a survey. I don't know if there's any auditing of the facts here, but it was. Uh, so perhaps the actual answer is even lower. Uh, but what, what would you would you like to guess on the on the um, respond the responding answer? So I, I would say that they tell people it's ten percent, but an audit of U.S. tax returns, I think <laughs> that number would be about two to two and a half percent. Well, you might be surprised to know that the responding answer, the answer that they are comfortable giving the poll taker, um, is two to two and a half percent um, on average. And, and this is, these are people, again, these are people who are, um, again, defined broadly and self-reporting as active church members. Um, and 38% of people who, again, define themselves as active church members give zero to their local, to their local work. And so, again, if, if we'll talk about giving and generosity um, as, a, as a part of um, our financial responsibilities, and, and certainly we will and we should, uh, Christians do not have this lit. <laughs> Christians, um, this, is a, this is a problem for, uh, as big a problem for Christians as it is for non-Christians, and people who are ostensibly Christians, who call themselves Christians, um, are not particularly generous with their giving um, when looked at it in, in a broad scope. Uh, and, and that's, you know, so if you want to put a pin in this here for those listening along, um, we will do a class down the road where we talk about not only giving to the local church, uh, but also what you do in giving broadly. Um, and you know, the, the significance importance of that and how we build those things into a budget. So that, that, that is absolutely a topic that we will handle at some point. Um, but uh, cause it's, it's very significant cause it, it starts with, you can't do this if you build your budget with, you know, I'd start with what my wants are first and then whatever's left at the end, I give back to God or I give to charities or I give to wherever because you run out of money every time. And it doesn't matter whether your budget starts with a thousand dollars a month or, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a month. You, if you don't, if, if you, Giving isn't one of the first things that you budget in. You'll never find room for it. It's just not going to happen. No question. Gratitude and generosity are fundamental uh, bedrock concepts of, of living an active Christianity. And, and so um, that 
clearly has an influence on how we handle our finances and that that has to be part of any any um you know genuine study of the bible and and our and our money has to talk about that okay uh, so next question so this from a little broader perspective uh, mike worldwide would you like to guess the average household income worldwide so you know take all of the the the, the rich upscale um progressive countries in the world and take the poorest countries in the world a household has what average income so so this one i actually have a little insight too because i i know this number but it, it's it's old so depending on what data set you're looking for but um world bank numbers several years ago had that number at like 14.2 yeah so and again depends on how you define household and and some of that some of that i think gets a, a little bit tricky the, the number i found was was a, was a little less than, than ten thousand. um so we're uh, i think roughly speaking and again there's a lot of different ways to to define this answer but roughly speaking the average household income in the world is about ten thousand dollars um, and keep in mind that, that we're often, in, in most cases, talking about multiple earners in a household in that, in that scenario. And so um, that um, j- should just give us some perspective about where, uh, if you're listening to, to this um, lesson, you're, you're probably um, at a number well north of that. And so it, it should give us some perspective, some pause when we read things like the rich young ruler or those who are rich fall into temptation and a snare or um, it's difficult with difficulty will a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven that w- the, the sobering reality is that that's talking about us. Um, that, that's talking to just about anybody who, who has the capacity to get to Facebook to hear this sermon. Right. So, so along those lines, so when you're, are you using just, just to define terms a little bit to, to put, I just, I'm just trying to put this in perspective for everybody. So is this the mean number you add them all up and divide them or is this a median number? What, what, what's our, what's our average for the terms of the study? I think that's a median number. Okay. So we got a median number, right? So what a median is, for, again, we don't mean to be jerks and about math in this, but if you stack up all of the incomes around the world and you just take the number that's in the middle, that's what it is, right? So half of the households below that are lower and half of the households are above that. It's not, we're going to take, you know, one and 10 and divide it and get five. That, that's a mean number. A median is we're going to stack all of them together. So that's important. All right. Here's another number that's important. Do you know, Michael, what the, uh, for a family of four, what the poverty level is in the United States. I do not. All right. So that number for a family of four is 26,200. Okay. So okay. we're talking two and a half times what the world median income is. Yes. So in so, the US, you are poor if you are two and a half times better than the rest of the world. Yeah. And so another way to look at that is, you know, I think you could say comfortably that 70, 60, 70% of the world lives below the U S poverty level. Um, and the number is probably more than that. I'm probably being conservative on that, but, but well, over, a, a solidly a majority of the world lives below the poverty level in the United States. And so um, that, that speaks a little bit, um, obviously the wealth in the United States that we're rich and we got to put ourselves into all those verses, which makes it very uncomfortable. And, and it also um, speaks to our responsibility and generosity, I think. 
absolutely. And, and that, that's my point there is that, you know, our poor are rich on a world stage. Yes. You know, and, and, and as much as I think the easy thing to do is the rich young ruler is Bill Gates. The rich young ruler is Steve Jobs. Or, uh, you know, it's, it's always somebody far wealthier than we are. Right. Making Kushner or making somebody that's easy not to like or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's whoever, you know, throw, throw them in there. Right. Um, and it's always easy to point up like, oh, well, that's who he's talking about. It's not me who, you know, for the majority of people that are, you know, on the internet that are accessing this, you are, at, you know, you may not be a one percenter, but you're probably a 10 to 15 percenter, right? Worldwide. No question. Uh, so, you know, look, we, we've got to be honest with ourselves about the data. And the issue is what, you know, kind of what does our spending also and our budget and our allocating of these resources, what does that tell us about what's important in our lives too? And that's something that we're, we're going to have to, this is the hard part of this study, right? This is the part that you got to look hard in your mirror and say, well, you know, the data tells me that I may need to make some changes in life. Yeah. So that, that's that, a great part. Yeah, that's a great Bill Parcells line, right? That you are who your record says you are. <laughs> that you are that you are that we are not who we uh, say that we are. That we're that we're not who we want to be. That who we are is who are, what our record says we are. And and if we the, the the credit card statement or the bank statement is an index of that. That that where where we put where we what's important to us is where our finances end up. That if you hand me somebody's bank statement or you hand me somebody's credit card statement, I can give you a pretty decent index of, of where their heart is. Um, and, and so again, that makes us all uncomfortable and it should. Um, but if I don't mean to, to step ahead of us here, but if we're truly stewards of God's stuff um, and we think about it that way, it just, it changes the way that, that those, those uh, bank statements look. Um, and and that, I think that, that leads us right into our, our next question. So, yes. So, and, and you, you may have some insight into this one, Mr. Estes. What is the average household debt in the United States? So this, this includes mortgage debt, credit card debt, uh, college debt. Um, you can add it all up. What's average household debt in the United States? So, uh, again, depending on the... There's year, different answers there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's, there's different answers. And also what you throw in there. Um, because there's, there's different studies that just track credit card debt or, sure. or personal debt and all that. So if we're saying debt, debt, all the debt, um, I'm going to say that number's, you know, 100 to 100 and a half. Uh, so the number that I found, and I should have sourced this, I don't have a source, um, is roughly about $140,000. Um, that the average, now you think about that, the average, and I think this, this may truly be average, not median here for, for the super wonks out there, but, um, but the, the average household debt is $140,000. Um, put that in perspective, that that's two and a half, three times the average household income, um, in the United States. So again, just what's Joe American, um, he's, his debt is two and a half or three times larger than his, than his income. And, so you you can only imagine what kind of stress and strain that puts um, in the added stress into someone's life and the uh, the the lack of margin that someone has in their life um, to be generous and, and to uh, you know to uh, treat their finances the way that God may want them to to treat them. Uh, the, the other thing I would note about that is. Uh, 
and the, thing, the thing that should make us sad and give us pause is when, when they broke out um, or, or when you statistically break out Christians um, and look at Christians only, mm-hmm. that the number is not statistically significantly different. The number is identical. And so uh, Christians, again, those who, again, self-reporting, those who call themselves Christians, and, um, those who call themselves Christians do not have this problem handled, is that the, the debt level is that we are like the world. Um, and, and we are, we're not distinct from the world. I'm talking about Christianity broadly defined, everybody understands, but Christians have not made themselves distinct in this way that, that we have fallen into the, the same trap as the world has, um, in terms of, uh, at least in terms of debt. So th- this is a, an opportunity for, for another point here back to our household income and a disclaimer. So the disclaimer is that, you know, uh, Michael and I are self-proclaimed, self-confessed nerds, especially when it comes to statistical analysis. Uh, And there is a term when we talk about income and we talk about debt from finance that's called leverage, right? So you can take, if you're making $1, but you can take 30 cents of that dollar and make a payment and now spend $5, that's leverage, right? You've got more dollars today at your disposal than you normally would have because of debt, okay? So when we factor in the average household debt to income, we are also levering up, you know, right? So take, instead of having, you know, that $10,000, you know, we're talking about U.S. income, right? So Average U.S. income is, is higher than, than the world income, okay? So 45, yeah. Average U.S. income is 45, right? Is that, is that the right number there? It's a neighborhood, yeah. Okay, so 45, but the debt's 140. So we're Correct. saying the average U.S. consumer is levered up three times, okay? We're spending three times what our income is because of the debt load, okay? So, so let's think about that. We, that's why, to Michael's point, we end up being slaves to the debt because we are spending more than our means would say. We are taking out debt and, and we're going to get into this later. There, there's another class on debt um, that I think is going to be very significant. But when, when you talk about taking and you're borrowing future dollars and making payments on them today, right? That's, that, that's, that's what debt is. But we're so levered up that we become uh, prisoners to those debt payments. We have to make the debt payments. So therefore any even increases of income that I get today doesn't allow me to be generous because I've already in essence spent that, right? I've spent raises for the next 10 years on something that I wanted to acquire today. And so, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about the difference in, you know, true leverage, getting value out of debt and debt that's for garbage spending. Um, so again, but I think that that's very, very significant when we look at what that debt means and what it handcuffs us or shackles us to do, right? If you've got a debt load, you are a prisoner to your debtors. I mean, that, that's just kind of where you end up. Borrower's slave to the lender is written in an old book. And, uh, and we're, we're going to, uh, you know, tackle, does the Bible say anything about debt? Are we, are we meddling here? I mean, the answer is the Bible says a lot about debt <laughs> and, and a surprising amount about debt. So yeah, this is this, again, this is part of the scriptural view of, of finances. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's an important part of, of, of this class. So, um, 
the, the, all of those, all those topics, and, and obviously those lead into a lot of specific subtopics, but all of those lead to the conclusion that, um, first of all, that the, the, the handling of our finances is critically important to our Christianity, that, that mishandling our finances is a, a real danger to our eternal destiny. So uh, just food for thought here in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? That, that again, that the way that we handle worldly wealth is an index of our character and, and, and that it shows our heart. And, and, and Jesus says, you know, kind of makes that point in this, in this real poignant way. He said, if you can't handle earthly wealth, you're not ready for heavenly. Uh, and so this, this, this is not a, um, you know, it's easy for me, easy for me and Mike to say, cause we, we, we spend a lot of our lives in this world, but this is not just, just a hobby for us. This is not just a, a topic that, um, we're excited about because it kind of hits our, <laughs> our, our sweet tooth, so to speak. But this is, this, this is eternity stuff. Um, and, and I, I sincerely fear that there are souls lost because of not, um, uh, because of the the lack of um, what's the, the lack of control, the lack of a handle on on this area of, of their life. Yeah. Th- so in another place, Jesus says, uh, you know, out of the mouth, you know, proceeds what's in the heart. I mean, I I, w- I would argue that we could you know retranslate you know Luke's account here that out of the wallet also comes what's out of the heart, right? how we spend money, how we approach money uh, tells on our heart. I mean, that, that's really what this is. And, and that's the point that Jesus is making here is it tells where our priorities are. You know, the, the quick litmus test on this is if you go through your budget, you know, where the majority of your income goes are the things that are important to you, right? I mean, that's just, that, that's par for the course. And, and sometimes, again, that's, very uncomfortable to think about, very uncomfortable to admit to, um, but it's the truth. And, and I think that that kind of segues us into, uh, you know, our next point that we wanted to look at here with the rich young ruler, right? Because what was the rich young ruler's problem? You know, if, if you turn with us, if you got your Bibles out to Matthew chapter 19 and verses 16 through 26, with this, again, is not one of these Bible studies where we're going to read all these verses together, all right? But most of us know the story and, you know, to Michael paraphrased the story of the rich young ruler for us. Oh, I get handed that one, huh? So, yeah. so this is the uh, this is the story of a young man that comes to Jesus, and and you know, depending on which version um, you read, many of the gospel, I think th- three of the gospel writers have this interaction recorded, uh, referred to as a, a ruler or a rich young man, or, or so we kind of put those together and climb the rich young ruler, and and he comes to Jesus and says, "What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life?" And and if if you or I, uh, Mike, were to uh, put together our wish list of what is a perfect candidate for Christianity, this this guy would check a ton of the boxes, right? right? He 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 was a guy that had influence. Can you? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we can you think about the influence that he could possibly have on others if he became an, an advocate for Jesus? Um, he was clearly interested. You know, he came to Jesus. Jesus didn't seek him out, but he, he sought out Jesus, and he, he, he asked these questions, and he asked what to do with eternal life. And when Jesus tells him to keep the commandments, he says, I have kept the commandments. 
So we got this, we got this morally good, um, influential, uh, and he's got, also he's got the wealth to do some good. If he's if he's pointed in the right direction, uh, he he could he, he could be somebody that could use his wealth to benefit the kingdom. So again, if you or I were looking at this guy, we'd be foaming at the mouth to 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 teach him. He's got he's got hits every checkbox of what of what in our human eyes that we're looking for um, as far as characteristics of a follower and and somebody who seems to have um, uh, the right heart in coming to Jesus to ask these questions. So in the response to Jesus, he's kept all he's kept all the commandments. And Jesus tells him, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be complete, if you want to be ready to be a disciple, um, and I'm in I'm in verse 21 of, of Matthew 19. Um, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He went away sorrowful because that was a command that he was not prepared to act on. And in a and so stop there for just a minute. Um, but I, the next the next phrase gives me pause in this in this context. The disciples came, and the disciples like are kind of incredulous about this. Why'd you run this guy off? This guy was a candidate. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, I say only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and so that's in, that's in this context also. So that's my paraphrase. So there, there's a couple of things and, and it may not be in Matthew's account here. Um, maybe, maybe it's in Luke's account that uh, Jesus in that phrase back to him says, there's one thing that you lack you know, and, 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 and that phrase is the one that keeps me up at night, right? Because I think for, for us, it's, you know, if we came to Jesus, and, and, and I think it says, says some different things about his heart too, right? He's coming to Jesus and he's like, all right, I think I've got this licked. Like, what, what, what's the one thing that I need to do to, to, to get over the hump here? I'll, I'll do one thing, one more thing. Um, but he's also, like Michael said, I mean, he's a morally, he's a good guy. He's a good dude. But Jesus, as he always does, gets to the heart of the matter. And Jesus says, this guy's got a heart issue, right? There, there is a heart issue that you've got here. You've got a bad valve or, you know, really, here, here's what's wrong with your heart that's stopping you from completely accepting what I am, right? And, and let's, let's take this guy, right? Take the rich young ruler who is, you know, got the world by the, by the hands, right? He, he's, you know, on the precipice of everything. And let's take and let's contrast him with Saul of Tarsus, right? And, and remember, we get in Philippians in the study, if you guys followed along with us through the Philippian study, you know, we may mention this several times that, that Saul of Tarsus was at that point before the road to Damascus would have been, you know, top of his class, wealthy, Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, just checked every single box, was the epitome of what a Jew should be. Right. And what does he say? He says that I counted all those things as rubbish. Why? For the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus. Right. He said, when I look at my possessions and what I had and all the glory that it was going to bring me, they were trash next to Jesus. The rich young ruler, on the other hand, said, I can't do that. You know, you know, if you would have said, you know, stand on your head for like 45 minutes. I would have done that. If you would have said anything else, but I can't let this. And, and, I, and I think it's very important too. the phraseology here. 
How did he walk away? He walked away sorrowful, right? He walked away with his head down. He was sad that he couldn't make that call because he knew it was the right call, right? But he was willing to forfeit his soul for his riches. And, and, and that's I think the, the, the sorrowful is, is, I mean, that is um, compelling, at least it is to me, because he didn't walk away and say, this guy's a joke. This guy's a fraud. Like, uh, he's, he's asking me to do things that are irrelevant. He's asking me to do things that are ridiculous. Um, no, I, I'm, I'm persuaded that the rich young ruler knew exactly what Jesus had done, is that he, that, you know, the sword of the spirit had gone straight to the joints and the marrow, right? As, as it says in the book of Hebrews. And we got right to the pain point. He said he, 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 uh, there's a great phrase in the book of Hebrews is all are naked and exposed to the sight of him. Um, um, when, when that's, that's how we are to God, that there's no secrets. And he said, I've, I've been exposed. Like, like this, I have this, this, this point, this thing that um, maybe nobody else knew that this this was something he wasn't willing to put away or never never been in a position where he had to. And, and Jesus got to that pain point, got to that sore point and and exposed that in one question um, that, that he walked away sorrowful, that he knew that he knew what Jesus had done is is so compelling. Yeah, th- there's a. Um there's a commentator. Um, I've got him on the shelf, but I can't remember which one it is, but I, I love the way he, he talks about this because the point is we live in a world where we wrap ourselves in shadows. And when we come to Jesus, that bright light exposes the darkness that we hide in. And I think that's exactly right. You know, we, we struggle to let anybody know our true self. You know, we, we let people know a little bit about us, right? Because we, we want to keep most of that back. Because we're afraid that our friends, that our, our, our loved ones, our coworkers, that the people we know, we're afraid that they're going to know how bad we really are if we let it all out. So we let it out either in very, very small doses or we just keep it hidden, right? And, and the world may have a great impression of us, of who we are, because we've worked very hard on creating that image. But in reality we're something very different. You know, we have, everybody's got the skeletons in their closet, right? And and, in the world we live in of social media, most people have done this online. They've created this entire persona of, you know, Photoshopped images that when you meet them in real life and you look at their picture online, you can't even tell that they're the same person, right? We see this a lot. But when we are confronted with truth and Jesus being the epitome of truth, all that stuff gets exposed. And, 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 and for the rich young ruler, you know, his issues there were exposed. He, his faith, his crutch, his stronghold was his wealth. He knew as long as he had his possessions, he would be okay. And for him to give those up to follow Jesus, the, the risk reward was not there for him. Yeah, and clearly there was some level of security, some level of comfort that came with his possessions, and and it's easy to to be that way, especially where, you know, as we've talked about, as we are in the United States, it's easy to have some level of security and comfort in the fact that you know we've got some money in the bank and we've got a we got a home, right? Um, and and so the I would 
I would posit that the issues of the rich young ruler are the issues of many, many Christians, including one or more that may be on this Zoom call right this minute, right? <laughs> is that is that these are, this is, and, and uh, this is not one that you overcome and put aside and never have to deal with again. This is this is something that has to be continually worked on. So where is my heart in regard to this question? Um, and I'm not saying that Jesus would ask this question of everyone or, or that he, Jesus would even ask it in the same way. But the fact that he did ask it to this, to this individual means it is relevant. Right. Jesus was not trying to run this, this guy off. I mean, I think that that is a, a, a would be a, a, a bad misconstruing of, of Jesus intent here. Jesus' intent was to to put him on the examining table and expose the issue, um, but the intent was not to run him off. I'm right. sorry. That's the way that it could be treated, right? Absolutely. You know? yeah, Jesus not walked. That he was running him off. Jesus was offering help. Jesus walked away from this interaction sad. Also, I don't think there's any um, any debate about that. And so, um, I, those questions are just as relevant for us. And to say that they're not, or to say that this was a special case, or to say that you know. Uh, I, I just think that that is um, that's whistling past the graveyard. I mean that 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 is not dealing with the reality of what of what this these verses say to us as rich Americans. Right, and, and we're that the point we were driving at earlier in the questions and looking at median incomes and all that are. It's very easy for most people to read through Matthew nineteen and say that's hedge fund guys, right? It's, it's, we're talking about the one percenters and we're talking about everybody but me. But when we look at who we are, we are the rich young ruler. Um, you know, maybe not the ruler part, but, and some of us, maybe not the young part, but you know, the, the wealthy part of this that, you know, that's relevant here. But here, I want to ask you this question, Michael, because I think this is, this is fascinating, is the, the, the statement that Jesus makes as he leaves why? Why is it difficult for the rich to inherit? Well, why is that, you know, with many difficulties, with many troubles, what, why does Jesus say that? You know, what is the, what is the core of, of being a disciple? What's the core of, of, of being a Christian? Uh, I would say that one of the, one of the fundamental things is, is that is where we'll put our trust. And that is where we'll put that, that, um, you know, as we, we've talked about a little bit in previous lessons, that, that's where, that's where our fulfillment and our purpose um, and our contentment comes in Jesus. And for, for, for those of us who are blessed to have possessions, it's very easy to fall into the trap of, of our uh, contentment, our security, our fulfillment to, to come from those possessions. And, and so um, I guess I'm sure there are many answers to that question, but that, that, would, be, that would be a place to start is, um, it, it makes it more difficult to rely on on Jesus, and it, and it makes and, and frankly, it makes it more difficult to to uh, um, to desire um, a, a different life, right? I mean, if you take somebody that's wallowing in in the slums in in India, um, to to tell them that there is a different life in Jesus is a very appetizing prospect. To, to, to tell the rich young ruler that there's a different life in Jesus. I don't know that I want a different life. I got a, I got a pretty good life now. Um, and, and so anyway, so there, there's just a couple of thoughts. Right. I mean, there, there's a, uh, there's a country song that, that always kind of gets to me when I think about this. Um, but the, I, I can't even think of, of, of who the, uh, 
artist is or whatever, but the lyrics of the song are prop me up beside the jukebox if I die. Right. Joe Diffie. Is that Joe Diffie? All right. So, I mean, think about that. R.I.P. Right. COVID got Joe Diffie. R.I.P. So, I mean, but think about that. Like, that's the level of comfort. Like, I'm more comfortable propped up next to a jukebox than thinking about there's a better life, right? I mean, I, that, that's the epitome of, of, I think, where we are is that, you know, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. You know, I, I mean, Jesus, you talk about, you know, these mansions or dwelling places or in heaven. I mean, I'm pretty good here. I mean, I got a good spot. And I think that's why we struggle, too, with the difference in being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven versus a citizen of the United States, that we get far more wrapped up in local politics than we do in what's going on in the kingdom. And, and that's, that's, I think, all back to comfort. I'm very comfortable here. I like where I am. So for me to, you know, have to grasp that there's something better, I think for a lot of us, there, there's not, you know, it's, it's hard to get much better. Could you get maybe a more comfortable mattress? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's most of us, we've got a pretty good level of comfort here. Yeah. And, and we, we become satisfied with things that are, that are less than um, what Jesus is. There's a, there's a great C.S. Lewis story about, you know, we're, we're like kids that are, that are um, playing with mud pies um, and, and not knowing that, that they're the real thing is out there. Um, it, you know, there, there is, there is something better, but if we're wrapped up in this world, it's, it's hard, it's hard to see it. And, and I think that that's where, you know, for us, we've got to get our, our hearts, our minds uh, around the idea of, you know, what we think is safety and riches is not. I mean, it's, that's the biggest scam ever going is that these riches are safe. And Jesus talks about that in the terms of where, you know, put up your riches where moth and rust can destroy them when he's talking about, you know, riches at that time were the actual metal. I mean, we got paper and we got banks. And for some reason, we also think that that's more comfortable. But, you know, there's there are things we can talk about without getting into conspiracy theories where that stuff's worthless too. You know, yeah, right? I mean, you know, is, there any, is there any doubt that if Jesus came back and, and was, was to reiterate those verses, he would say where um, stock market pullbacks and, um, you know, oil, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the floor dropping out of the price of oil cannot destroy, you know, that, that the, the means of our wealth flying away may be different. The way that it happens, it, it may be a stock market crash um, rather than moth or rust. But, but the point is, is identical. That those things, they, they, they are transient. We're not intended to have them forever. We won't have them forever. And so um, they, they, can, they can go away. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's where we got we to get to in this. So we've, we've gone on for a while tonight. I think we've, we've done enough to lay the intro. And I, we don't want to you know, get into another hour and a half lesson like we did the last time. Um, but the, the important part here and, and what I mean, we, we do, I think it's the listeners that <laughs> – think about them. Uh, but really what we wanted to drive home tonight is the need for this study. We think it's needful. We don't think, I mean, as much as this is a um, hobby of ours, it's, it's stuff that we love and we nerd out on when we look into the facts and the statistics and the figures. We also think if a careful examination of scripture tells us that we need to be better about this stuff. Um, and that's really all we're driving at tonight is if you think you need to be better after listening, after tuning in, if you think you need to be better or you have friends or loved ones or neighbors that think need to be better like this, share this, you know, it'll be on YouTube and, and on Facebook. Um, that's what we're, we're just trying to get better. And, and there's 
you know, we also want to give the full disclaimer here at the end. We're not perfect in any of this nonsense either. I mean, we're still very much a work in progress with our own finances. Nor do we have the answers. And I, and I think part of the study is we will develop um, answers as we share with one another that they're going to be helpful, you know, to us. And so, you know, with, as with all studies, it's the, it's the people that are involved to get the most out of it. Uh, I just hope we can have some spill over to somebody else that might, that might use it. So, so here's, here's my takeaways, Mike, if I, if I had to leave, leave with just some thoughts about why are we doing this? Here's, here's just a few key thoughts. And these were kind of the thoughts of the class that, that I did outside that you referenced. And I, th- I think they're very relevant as, as we talk about tonight is number one, God does care what we do with our money. There is there is just a buku of evidence in scripture. God does care. So to think that this this issue and our spiritual life are separate issues that is that is a, a fallacy. God cares what we do with our money. Number two, we're rich. We talked about that. that. That puts us in a special class as far as scripture is concerned. God cares what we do. We are rich. Christians are not immune to financial issues. Um, if anything, um, we we fall into the trap easily. Um, and and number four, wealth doesn't equal contentment. Um, so, so those, those kind of key points are why this, in, in my opinion, is such a worthwhile uh, endeavor. And let me throw a sub point off of that too. Um, that uh, again, you're the thing I love about this medium, right. Is that you can watch and be a part of this class from a distance without necessarily even being evol- involved or know you're on the roster. Because I think one of the sub points of things you said is, I think there are a lot of Christians that struggle in this area and are embarrassed about it and are afraid to talk about it and afraid to seek the help that they need. Right. I know from ones that I have counseled and studied with that have come to me, it's, it's almost like Nicodemus. They'll come by night, like, you know, Hey, let me sneak in the back door of your house and let's talk about finances. But I don't want anybody to know at the church, in my family, at work. I don't want anybody else to know, that I'm struggling here because I'm a Christian and I'm not supposed to. So I think that's, that's huge here too. So take this medium to from a distance without having to admit fault or guilt or shame or anything else from a distance study along with us and and get the tools that you need. You'll find out if you listen to us long enough, we're self deprecating enough. We'll make fun of ourselves all throughout this thing and each other. but it's so important. The lessons are real and the lessons are true and the lessons are strong. Um, and, and all of this content, we'll do our best to, to, to cite our sources as we go along. But th- I mean, this is also a lifelong of borrowing ideas from other people. Um, there, there's stuff we're going to get to down the road where it's ideas that we've picked up from um, either small groups that, that Michael and I have been in or conferences that we've been to where we've had some of these, you know, well, you know, that's kind of an aha, duh moment. Like, why haven't we always been doing this? Um, I can think of a couple of conferences that, that Michael's left and called me and said, you know, hey, I got this great idea that's very simple that we should have been doing for the last 10 years. And we, how did we not know this? Um, so there's a lot of that good that, that we want to share with you, too, and share those experiences. So and, I hope and, you'll stay along for the ride. And there are, there are plenty of people who are way more qualified than this. But you know what? They may not be your Facebook friend. So, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, we, this is not a, 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 a claim to qualification. This is just saying that the conversation needs to happen. And uh, so let's have it. Absolutely. So thank again, thank you for tuning in. Um, share this message with, with any that you know. There's a little share button in the, in the bottom. Um, pass out the, the address to this. Because, um, again, our goal here is to be helpful. And if we can help you or anybody that you know 
that's what we're going to try to accomplish here. So that's the introduction tonight. Our first lesson is going to be how we should view any and all possessions. And so we're going to talk about the concept of stewardship and what that means um, as it relates to everything in our life. If we can get that piece down, if we can understand that, it's going to make everything else easier. But we got to get on board with whose possessions these are uh, in the first place if we're going to make any headway. Amen. Thank you again. Um, like, share, comment, um, text us, uh, whatever we can do to help along the way. Uh, we want to be there for you. So thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to uh, continuing this as we go along. Thank you, my friend.